You are listening to Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Kent, and uh, we're going to think about doing good things today. And uh, we're going to continue our journey through the book, uh, the little letters of Peter, First and Second Peter. We're in First Peter chapter 2 today, if you want to get your Bible out or open up your app and get ready to read along. We're thinking about how do we find hope in the middle of a life that can be filled with trouble and trauma and difficulties, and what kind of things does Peter point at to try to help us find our hope? We're going to continue that exploration this morning. First Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 11. Before we read this, I want to offer you this prayer, though. The Lord be with you. 1 Peter 2.11 Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor." Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enduring it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God." To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Just before we dig into this, I want you guys to think about, is there a topic that comes up in your home that is most likely to cause a disagreement? A topic that's most likely, or what are the things you're most likely to disagree about or argue about? Okay, and if you're sitting there with your family, especially if you have kids, I want you to turn to your kids now and ask them, is there something in our family that we're most likely to argue about? Okay, and if you're not sitting near someone, you can yell across the space or turn around, talk to someone. Things you're most likely to disagree on. Go ahead and chat for just a second. If you're at home, make sure you include all of your family in this discussion. What kinds of things do you disagree about or argue about? Mm -hmm. 
All right. Most of you are nodding like you have something that comes up maybe with regularity that you can dis disagree about. We have one ongoing argument in my family, only the only one I could actually think about that's ongoing. We regularly argue about whether or not Taco John's is fine dining or not. <laughs> so I took a news fast for a while because I was so depressed by the stuff I was reading about out there. And then I, every time I break this fast, I regret it and go back to it. But I broke it again this week. And I was reading some editorials about wearing face masks. And the first editorial I read basically accused the governor of Michigan, Governor Whitmer, of being a bully because she issued a mask mandate that basically required everybody in Michigan to wear a mask. So she was a bully. The second editorial I read was about our governor, Governor Reynolds, who was a bully because she did not make a mask mandate that required everybody in Iowa to wear a mask. This is the kind of world we live in. It seems like it's very polarized. Do you think the world is polarized more now than it used to be? It seems like it. Pick a topic. Race, education, economic policy, national security, immigration, religion, ice cream, we disagree. I came across this interesting survey that discovered on the vital issue of how do you eat an ice cream cone, we as a nation are divided almost 50-50. When you have an ice cream cone, do you lick it or do you bite it? Take a poll here. I'm guessing we would be about the same, maybe 50-50. Here's the question I have for today. How do we as followers of Jesus live in a world that's very polarized? How do we deal with hostility, hostility that's often directed at us for the things that we believe because people disagree about it so much? Now, someone loaned me a book this week, and it was trying to answer this question. Uh, this was kind of an unsolicited loan, but the book was right on. This is one of the things the author said to introduce the topic. He said, conflict is more common today than ever. Agree? Disagree? This book was actually written in 1968. And the title of the book is To Resist or to Surrender. And the author looked at two of the most common ways that we have to respond to conflict. We either dig our, heel is, dig our heels in and resist it and fight and argue and make our case, or we throw up our hands and we say, it's too big a challenge. I don't want to have the conflict. I'm, I surrender. I give in. And we decide to just live with it. To resist or to surrender. Now Peter is offering in his letter suggestions about how we should respond while living in a hostile world. And he brings up some very interesting suggestions. He suggests things like this. He says, live among the pagans even though they accuse you of doing wrong. He says, submit to every authority. Show proper respect to everyone. Slaves, obey your masters, even those who are harsh. Wives, submit to your husbands, even those who are not believers. Bear up under the pain of unjust suffering. These are the kinds of suggestions that Peter gives. And if I'm reading Peter correctly, he's suggesting a third way to respond to conflict that is neither resistance nor surrender. The, the pathway that he's suggesting is something I would like to call passive resistance, or calculated surrender. We reach a hostile world 
by living such good lives in our everyday activity that they want to know more about God. We live our lives in such an admirable way that people notice. And this brings them hope. And we have hope that even when we're suffering, others might be noticing the good that we're doing and come to faith by doing it. Here's how Peter said it in his own words. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God. I really loved the message paraphrase of this particular passage. This was how the message said this verse. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they will be won over to God's side. That's a fascinating idea to me, that we could live such good exemplary lives that people who are even prejudiced against us would notice and be won over. When we face conflict, we do good. We show the ideal, blameless, praiseworthy way to live. And this good life is a life of passive surrender and calculated a passive resistance and calculated surrender. And while we're doing this, Peter says, doing good silences the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's the outcome of living this way. And he points to kind of four qualities of what this life looks like. We're going to look at all four of these quickly. First, we live good life together. Number two, we live the good life in the everyday activities. Number three, we live the good life to grow love. And number four, we live the good life to glorify God. Because we are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, we are a community. We are not called to live our good life alone or in isolation. We're called to live it together. Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And we were discussing this, past, this passage last week, and Pastor Allen always reminds us when we read these kinds of passages that the you in these passages are plural. It's not so easy to pick up in the English, but it's very easy to pick up in the Greek if we were going to translate this into English plural, the you is something more like y'all. Or if you're really from the South, you say all y'all. That's what these passages are saying. All y'all were not a people, but now y'all are a people. Y'all had not received mercy, but now all y'all have received mercy. We live this out together. We live this out as a community. Our life of faith, our life of doing good is a life that's lived together, which actually takes the pressure off. Because there are times when I look out at the world and I see the mess and the brokenness and the despair that's out there, and I think, I got to do something about this. And if I don't do something about this, it's not going to get any better. It helps me to be able to say, y'all, we got to do something about this. 
We have to live the good life together, and that way the world will find hope. So we live the good life together, and then we live the good life every day. Peter's call to live such exemplary lives among the people that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds anyway. This life is not lived out uh, one hour on Sunday morning. This life is not lived out just when we gather together with our brothers and sisters in faith. This life is lived out every day in all the places we go. It's lived out at school, at work, in the neighborhood. It's lived out when we shop, when we recreate, when we hang out, when we work out. This is lived everywhere we go. Live such a good life when you stand in line at Fairway that people, though they might be prejudiced against you, notice your good life and praise God. Live such a good life when you post on social media, when you go to your kid's soccer game, when you are on the job. Live such a good life that even though we live in a polarized world where people are prejudiced against us, they notice your good deeds and they can't help but praise God. Doing good every day silences the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's what Peter says. Now this doesn't happen unless we live our good deeds out and about. So we live our good life together. We live the good life every day. We live the good life to, to grow love, more and more love. We had this great song in the children's sermon in the first service about giving your love away, and we all had to practice. This is a great visual. When you leave today, I want you to imagine that you're everywhere you're going to go, you're going like to give your love. You're going to throw a little love somewhere. And we get this idea from Peter's conclusion to this section, which actually doesn't come till the end of chapter 3, which we'll get to later. But Peter has this big, long train of thought, and he's saying that when we live among the pagans, even though we are accused of doing wrong, when we live among them and submit to every authority, when we show proper respect to everyone, when we obey our masters, even those who are harsh, when we bear up under the pain of unjust suffering, when we live the good life, we grow love. This is First Peter 3, verse 8 and 9. Finally, he says to all of y'all, this will make you like-minded, sympathetic, loving one another, compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because this is the thing you were called to and when you do it, you inherit a blessing. Fight evil with love, he says. This sounds like passive resistance. This sounds like calculated surrender. He might have said something like, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And of course, if he talked like that, he would sound a lot like Jesus, which made me wonder. Maybe he picked some of this up from Jesus. Listen to the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. Again, I was reading the message this week, and I loved the paraphrase that he gave of this passage. 
He said, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Actually, one of the commentators I read said, if you follow eye for eye, tooth for tooth, eventually everyone ends up blind and toothless. That's the result of that. Jesus said, here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and shoes you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use this occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat. Live generously. Live such a good and generous life among the people that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God. We live the good life to bring love. We also live the good life to bring God glory. This is where I get encouragement because when I read these words about living generously and not resisting, it sounds hard. So I want to find an example of someone who is able to do that. And here's a beautiful example described in Isaiah 53, living the good life to bring God glory. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him our sin. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living for the sins of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for our sin. Passive resistance calculated surrender, laying down his life for us. This is what we're going to celebrate in just a moment when we come to the Lord's table. That yes, his body was broken, his blood was shed for us. He who was perfectly innocent and he did not open his mouth to protest it. Passive resistance, calculated surrender. And Peter reminds us that we can live this good life by following Christ's example. We can serve and suffer so that God is glorified. People see our good and come to faith. 
In Peter's own words again, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that we could follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you, like sheep, were going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We find hope by living good lives, and the rest of the world finds hope there too. We were chatting about this uh, this past Wednesday in my men's small group, and uh, one of our guys told a story about being in a very scary situation downtown Cedar Rapids. This was a couple of weeks after the George Floyd case had blown up nationally, and there were marches down there and lots of tension. And he was out for a walk with his wife, and a group of teenagers started to heckle him. And this guy admitted that his normal default mode would be to instantly escalate it and yell back and taunt them back. His instinct was to resist. But he took a breath, and while he took this breath, he had a thought, he said. And the thought he had was, there's a lot of racial tension right now, and we need to figure out how to get along. That's what he's thinking. And he was thinking that anything he would say or do would probably escalate this, and he, didn't, he decided he didn't want to do that. So he kept quiet, even though one of the teenagers got right up in his face. He said, I didn't say anything, and the, and the kid walked away. And after he described this story, he said something like it was no big deal. And I'm listening to this thinking, no, this is a huge deal. He did not follow his normal urge to resist. Instead, it's kind of a, you know, passive resistance. He didn't run away or back down. He just stood there. Kind of a calculated surrender. And the outcome of it was peace. It did not escalate. And that gives me a little bit of hope. That if we live the good life, if we live such good lives, such exemplary lives, that even though the world is prejudiced against us, they can see our good deeds and glorify God. This gives us hope. Lord God, we come to you today and I give you thanks for the truth of your word. Thank you for speaking to us here in this time and in this place. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to stir up in us uh, lives of of goodness. Help us to follow the example of Christ, and we will praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to find some strength, I think, to live this way in the next few moments by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. As we do that, we're going to remember Christ's body broken for each of us and his blood poured out for each of us because he loved us. He did this. And then we also come to this meal and we uh, have hope because this meal, though it's just a little wafer and a little bit of juice, is a pledge or a foretaste of a great feast that's going to come one day when God's love is revealed to all of us and we sit at a banquet table called the Feast of Love. One day that's coming. Until that day, we're looking forward to that. And then as we gather around the table, we also have communion, which means we abide 
We draw life like a vine draws life out of a vine. We draw life from this meal that strengthens us and empowers us to live the good life. As we prepare to do that, we recognize that, um, I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of ways I haven't lived the good life. I can think back through this week. I can even think through this morning about ways I have not lived the good life. And I'm going to give us all a few moments of silence to confess that, and then I'll lead us in a prayer of confession as we prepare to share in this meal together. So let's bow our heads together again. God, you are a good, good Father. You have been so good to us. And we confess we have not loved you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we have not loved our neighbor as ourself. We've not lived the kind of good life that you would desire for us to live. And we're sorry. Forgive us, Father, and we thank you that you're willing to continue to love us even when we fall short. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to work through this process of making us more and more like Christ. And we thank you for this promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So we thank you, God, for cleaning us up and making us ready even this morning to participate in this meal, to be fed and nourished at your table. So we ask that you'll continue the good work that you've started in us And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, please visit our website, www.cedarhillscr.org.